Well, good morning. My name's Emily. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be with you. Um, as maybe you've caught on a little bit this Lent here at CPC, we are walking through a sermon series about um, ways that God shows up to people in biblical stories, specifically in the wilderness, and the ways that he shows up in those places with provision and with uh, abundance, a table in the wilderness. Um, but the very idea that the wilderness is a place um, that you would find a table is pretty counterintuitive. You see, in the geography of the Bible, the wilderness, it's not a place of abundance. It's a place of scarcity. It's a place of lack, of going without something that you need. Um, quite literally, the wilderness places in the Bible are places that are like deserts. They are hot during the day. They are cold at night. It is a harsh terrain. It's difficult to find water. You can't grow food there. It's hard to survive. People who spend time in the wilderness very quickly come to the end of themselves. And in the Bible, these harsh geographical realities of the wilderness become a kind of picture for us of all the ways, physical and otherwise, that we confront our weakness and our vulnerability and need as human beings. We all journey through seasons of life where we're not sure how we're gonna make it to the other side, where we feel a sense of thirst and longing, where we're unsure, is anything good able to grow here? But over and over again in scripture, we see that these vulnerable wilderness places are precisely where God is revealing himself in intimate and profound ways. Like the worst, least desirable picnic spot you could ever imagine where it's like hard and uncomfortable. God is like, oh yeah, this is the spot. Let's roll out the blanket and start unpacking all of the, the picnic basket. Uh, last week, Petey walked us through the story of Jesus in the wilderness, which shows us the ways that um, we do not have to prove ourselves out of the wilderness. And this week, we're going to like rewind generations and generations backwards in the Bible to spend time with a woman named Hagar. And she meets God in the wilderness in some pretty... Uh, amazing ways. And as we spend time with Hagar, what I want us to do is hold in our minds this question, who is the God that is revealed to us in the wilderness? Who is this God who reveals himself in the wilderness? We find Hagar's story in the book of Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible. And Genesis, um, you kind of need to know a little bit about what Genesis is about to understand Hagar. So Genesis is all about not only the creation of the world, but God's creation of a special set apart chosen people through whom he is going to bless and rescue the entire world. And God chooses to establish this people through the descendants of a man named Abraham. So he goes to Abraham. He's like, Abraham, I'm going to do this like awesome thing for the entire world for all of time through you. The catch is that the promises of this descendants that will bless the world, this promise to Abraham is a thing that only God can fulfill because Abraham and Sarah, his wife, are old 
they are childless, and they are well past the age where having children would be naturally possible for them. So understandably, Abraham and Sarah, they get this promise from God, but they really struggle and actually fail to believe and to act like God is going to keep his word here. And Hagar is the one who suffers the consequences of their distrust and lack of belief. Hagar was an enslaved Egyptian woman who was living in the household of Abraham and Sarah. She probably had the very specific job of being Sarah's handmaid, her personal servant. And this is where it gets hard. In the culture of the ancient Near East, Having children was so important to the economic security of your family that if a couple could not do that, they could use a slave or a servant in their household, a female slave or servant in their household as a surrogate. Um, And that's what Abraham and Sarah do to Hagar. Um, They use her. They use her as a surrogate in an attempt to secure their family line and fulfill, frankly, to fulfill God's promises without him, that hopefully Hagar can have a child that can be Abraham's heir. Um, The Bible doesn't give tons of detail here, but it is more than fair to assume that what happens to Hagar in this triangle of relationships is not consensual. Uh, She is vulnerable. She is exploited. She is used for her body and what it can do. She is abused. She is mistreated. And honestly, like, none of it should have ever even happened. Hagar's story is a story that should not have even happened here. Hagar does become pregnant with Abraham's child, Uh, But predictably, this doesn't solve Abraham and Sarah's problems. Hagar uh, despises her mistress whenever she realizes she's pregnant. Sarah's ego, in turn, is insulted. Her shame is heightened in the situation. And so she takes out her shame and frustration on Hagar and abuses her. Hagar then flees to escape this abuse into the wilderness And it will be the first of two recorded meetings that she has with God in the wilderness. And in this first encounter in the wilderness for Hagar, God makes it clear that even though she is used and abused in the household of Abraham and Sarah, he sees all of it and he is working out a plan to take care of her in that place. And in response to this revelation of God, Hagar actually becomes the very first person in the entire scripture to give God a name. And she says this, you are the God who sees me. For she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. In Hebrew, it's El Roy. You are the God of seeing So strengthened from this encounter, Hagar goes back to the household of Abraham and Sarah. She gives birth to a son named Ishmael, whose name literally means God hears. But the dynamic in this like funky home is kind of uneasy still. Um, Eventually, miraculously, Sarah conceives uh, with Abraham and gives birth to a son named Isaac. But as Isaac grows, Sarah starts to feel pretty uneasy about um, 
this situation that she's living in. She's actually really worried that because Ishmael is technically Abraham's firstborn, that he's the one who's going to receive the greater portion of the inheritance and power and wealth from Abraham. And Sarah's like, no way. This child of a slave is not going to receive the inheritance. My son will. And so she goes to Abraham and she's like, get this slave woman and her son out of my house. I do not want them here anymore. Abraham's a little bit distressed about this. He doesn't know what to do. He prays about it. And God is like, actually, Abraham, I need you to listen to the wife, to your wife, Sarah. Um, but I am not sending them away for their destruction. I am sending them away actually for their freedom to get them out of this situation in your house. And so Abraham sends them off. And we're gonna read a little bit about now this second encounter that Hagar has with God in the wilderness. It's in Genesis 21, verse 14. You can um, follow along in a pew Bible if you want. We're on page 26 or early on in the Bible, just page 26. Um, this is where we find Hagar as she is uh, again in the wilderness. So Genesis 21, picking up at verse 14. Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. So amidst this very broken situation that by all accounts, like it could have just been like an unfortunate blip on the radar of religious history. Um, Hagar could have just been an anonymous casualty of some bad decisions, a faulty first attempt, um, but God takes action here, and it makes all the difference. So what is revealed to us about this God who reveals himself to Hagar in the wilderness? I'm going to walk through three things here. First, we see that this God is one who pays attention. He pays attention We've already learned from Hagar in Genesis 16 that God is one who sees, and now we see him as a God who hears our most anguished cries. Um, in thirsty despair, Hagar leaves her son under a bush, and then it says that she goes as far away as a bow shot, as far away as like an expert guy with an arrow would shoot an arrow really far away, far she goes far away so she does not have to hear her son suffer and die of thirst. Even though she cannot see him and she cannot hear him, God says, I heard the boy crying. God does see. He does hear. 
even though Hagar cannot. None of it escapes his notice. Later on in the book of Exodus, roles are gonna be reversed here. And rather than Egyptians being enslaved by God's people, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, will actually find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And do you wanna know what it says? It says that God heard their groaning whenever they were there. God heard them, the very same thing that he does first for Hagar, he will later do for his own people. This pain matters to God. He pays attention to it. It is not unimportant. It is not overlooked. It is not anonymous. So often the vulnerability of our wilderness seasons feel hidden, hidden behind the doors of a hospital or the doors of our bedrooms, behind forced smiles, behind high achievement, hidden inside our own minds. And there are also so many people in our world today who are vulnerable and still suffer violence and exploitation and abuse. And so often it is hidden from our eyes. They feel like nobody sees what's happening here. Whether we are hiding our own vulnerabilities or we are failing to see the vulnerabilities of those suffering in our world, Hagar's story reminds us God does see. God hears. None of it escapes his notice. He pays attention to every single bit of it. So God pays attention. But second, God also promises Just like God has promised to Abraham that he will make of his offspring a great nation, God makes the exact same promise to Hagar. The wilderness is not going to be the end for her and her son. God has a plan and a future for them. So like, yes, God has chosen Abraham and his descendants to be this like special set apart people who will be a great nation through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. But we see from the very beginning, they are already failing in that by how they fail to treat the foreigner who is living among them in the woman, Hagar. Even still, God is able to work redemptively through that failure of God's people by making this special promise also to Hagar. Even when the community of Israel fails to be a blessing to the foreigner and the outsider, God will have a special eye on them all throughout um, the story of the Bible. And he begins to include the outsiders in his promises of blessing anyway, starting here with Hagar. Jeremy Begbie is a Christian theologian. He's a musician. Um, He's a former professor of mine. And he writes about um, how music can help us understand a little bit of who God is and especially what God is doing with things that feel like mistakes. Um, He talks about how even the best musicians, when they're performing a piece, um, they hit the wrong note sometimes. And uh, Jeremy's British, and so he says it like this. He goes, there's a very technical term for this, and it's called a big fat mistake. And once you make a mistake in a musical piece, you hit that wrong note, you can't go back and undo it. Everyone has heard it. There's no delete button. Um, But he says, a skilled musician will be able to take that mistaken note and transform it into what's called a passing note. Begbie says, a passing note is a note that doesn't fit with the underlying harmony, but it can be made to fit 
woven into the larger story of the musical piece. A passing note is at first glance an ugly mistake, but with what comes after, it can become part of the overall story and beauty of the music itself. That's what God is doing when he makes this promise to Hagar. The way that Abraham and Sarah treat Hagar from the very beginning is an ugly mistake. It is a dissonant note. It does not fit with what God is wanting here. But still, God in his grace is able to take that failure and do something redemptive with it that beautifully demonstrates the main tune of the song he's trying to get across from the very beginning. Amidst Abraham and Sarah's failure to be a blessing, God promises blessing to Hagar. He incorporates this brokenness into the true tune of the song. So God pays attention. He promises, and God also provides. God provides in this desert of vulnerability. We're told that God opened Hagar's eyes so she could see a well of water that was there in the wilderness. So often when we are in wilderness seasons, we can be so concerned about the conditions, so worried about our own vulnerability that we miss the ways God actually is providing for us right there. He is taking care of us. And we too sometimes need God to open our eyes to see the ways that he's doing that, even if it surprises us, even if it's in ways that we could have least expected. So the God revealed to Hagar in the wilderness is one that pays attention to her cries, makes promises about descendants through her, and provides for her needs. These are undoubtedly good gifts. I am glad that this happens in Hagar's story. These are things that she can and should be grateful for, but still... I don't know about you, but like as I sit in this wilderness story with Hagar, I find myself like needing something more. Like I need something better than just this for her. I feel like a few positive outcomes that God works in this situation don't seem like they are enough to like outweigh the intensity of the suffering and, and even violence that she has maybe suffered, especially as a result of other people's wrongdoing. There is a wound in her story that can't be undone. It cries out for something more to be part of an even better story than what her story alone can be. As Fleming Rutledge says, there are evils that cannot be redressed by any means this world has to offer. It is necessary to think in terms of means from beyond this world. And friends, the good news is that the God who revealed himself to Hagar in the wilderness does ultimately and decisively break into our world from beyond it in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The God who provided water for Hagar in the wilderness will one day show up next to another thirsty, marginalized outsider woman by a well. And he will tell her, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This God who promises descendants to Hagar when she is at the end of her rope with no hope, 
will one day show up to another mourning, hopeless woman with a promise. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And this God who pays attention to the cries of Hagar's son and to the cries of all in our world that go unheard or are too painful for us to pay attention to, he too will one day become a son who cries out in anguish to a mother that cannot help him from a cross saying, I am thirsty. The way God works redemption in all of our wilderness stories is by entering into them with his very self. And specifically, the Bible tells us by entering into it, into our world, by entering into the place of the Hagars of this world. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2, that Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. In describing Jesus this way to us, as one who provides promises and pays attention to the point of dying the humiliating slavish death of crucifixion, the Bible wants us to know without a doubt that there is no irredeemable wilderness that we could ever walk through. Jesus fully entered into the brokenness of our existence, the suffering we inflict on others, the vulnerabilities we can't outplay, the sin we can't overcome. And the victory of his lordship is not in avoiding these wilderness realities, but he overcomes them by facing them full on, by bearing them, by enduring them, and by ultimately moving through them victoriously so that even death itself will become a passing note inside the beautiful song that God is singing in our lives. This way that God reveals himself to Hagar in the wilderness becomes a profound foreshadowing of the ways he will ultimately reveal himself to this entire groaning world and to each one of us through his son, Jesus. This is our true hope In the wilderness, because as Paul says in Romans 8, the God who gave us his very son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Friends, the God of Hagar, who pays attention to our cries, promises our eternal security and provides for our needs, is longing to make himself known to us in our wilderness seasons. He has once and for all in Jesus Christ proved that they are not too hard for him. He is our table in the wilderness.